Hopefully you've noticed the altar looks a little different this evening. We've replaced the normal candles with some other ones as we prepare for the beginning of our 40 hours devotion. Celebrating today and Tuesday because, well, we can, uh, the Feast of St. Leo the Great. Tuesday, normally November 10th, is the feast, uh, and we have the option of transferring it to the closest Sunday. Uh, and we do that because uh, it gives us a good opportunity to be able to celebrate the Paschal Feast of our parish together, and today in particular to begin, as I said, our 40 hours uh, devotion for adoration of the Blessed Sacrament here on the altar. So as we heard at the beginning of Mass, the Eucharist will be uh, exposed on the altar for the next 40 hours, two days, uh, beginning tonight after Mass, and at the end of Mass, all the way through Tuesday evening, 7.30 p.m., all day and all night. Uh, and so I uh, just encourage and invite all of you to come and spend some time with our Lord in adoration, uh, adoring our, our beloved Savior. Today's Gospel, well, it's always a fun God. I, I, I don't know about you guys, uh, I love reading the Gospels. Uh, because continually uh, we find wonderful and new things, ways in which our Lord speaks to us and speaks to our hearts. And our Lord in his parables uses so much imagery for us that we constantly are able to apply it in a new way to our lives. And so what jumps out today? Well, it's fascinating to consider that our Lord can look at somebody who he has created and say to them, I never knew you, or I do not know you. What kind of a God is this, the infinite and uh, omniscient one? It's the language that we use. He knows everything. How can he look at my heart and say, I do not know you? When we're young, we ask silly questions like, what is it? Can God make a rock so big that even he can't lift it? Sounds like something of a contradiction in terms. Or we'll say things like, could God ever stop loving you? Don't worry, he always loves you, right? He can't stop loving you. By the way, he can't make that rock either, so don't worry about it. But have we ever asked the question, is there something that God doesn't know? He knows my past. He knows my future. He knows all of the intricacies of my life. But is there something that God doesn't know? Because it sounds like it when I read the gospel today. And actually we can say that yes, there is something that God doesn't know. One thing he doesn't know is evil. It's the one thing that God does not wrap his mind around, so, so to speak, comprehend even. Not because it's somehow beyond him, but rather, he knows in such a deep way his infinite goodness that it's unfathomable to God that anyone would even begin to reject it. When I consider the eternal bliss that is heaven, I can imagine being just totally overwhelmed and consumed by the infinite beauty and goodness of God Most High. Something that, like, it totally takes me, captivating me, utterly drawing my soul, my whole self, into his being and into his goodness. You can imagine that God, who knows that so well, can look at evil and say, what in the world are you doing? What a terrible idea to run away from the infinite goodness that is God, or even to intentionally look at it and say, I don't want that. 
absolutely reject the goodness. I mean, it's, it's again, unfathomable. So when God looks at these five foolish virgins, we'll notice a couple of things. One, well, they're virgins. Apparently, they've been living at least a fairly good life. They're not married yet, so here we go. That's a good, that's a good sign. They showed up. Normally, we say, hey, showing up's half the battle. Our Lord reminds us today that showing up is still only half the battle. There's a little more than just showing up that he invites us into. So they've done something. They haven't been maybe totally idle. And yet something is still, remains unconverted, we can say, in their heart. Because when he sees them, when it comes for that, that moment for them to see him face to face when the bridegroom returns, that's our Lord. We speak about, speak about his coming and second coming at the end of time. We can also speak about our own particular judgment when, when we die and face him individually. And the last thing I want to hear from my Lord is, I never knew you. Oh. Like what happened in my heart that God, that God himself, the one who, who loves me infinitely, who died for me on the cross, could look at me and say, I never knew you. So those flasks of oil that are empty, clearly that has to mean something for us. Oil in the scriptures, it's always going to allude somehow to the Holy Spirit, the one with whom we are anointed. So think of the dove after the flood flying back with the olive branch and you know olives grow on olive branches and we make olive oil for anointing out of olives great that same dove that descends upon christ at his baptism indicating the the, the holy spirit the anointing of the holy spirit this anointing for mission we become soldiers of christ when we are confirmed to spread and defend the faith it's part of the mission that he has given us and so as we've received the Holy Spirit, we've shown up at the very least to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The question is, well, does my flask have holes in it? Did I, did I lose the gift? Did I spill it somewhere and forget to nurture it, nourish it? Was I unwilling to go sell all that I have to buy that field with the hidden treasure in it? The other parable from Matthew's Gospel. These virgins have to go out and buy something. Clearly, they had held on to something other than that flask of oil, held on to something other than the gift of the Holy Spirit that God gave to them in the sacraments. In other words, they didn't allow the Holy Spirit to take root in their hearts to convert them and to transform them. The way they lived their lives well, was perfunctory when it came to the, 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 the spirituality the reality of our relationship with God. You ever wonder why? It's, it's kind of awkward. The five virgins, foolish ones, look at the wise ones. Hey, give us some of your oil. Nope, sorry. Last I checked, the second greatest commandment was still to love your neighbor. I mean, there's supposed to be some charity going on here. Unless, of course, whatever's in that flask is something that you can't share. Like, I can't do your work for you, so to speak. To something that, an effort that you have to put into your own relationship with God. I can lead a horse to water, but I can't make him drink. And so here we are then, with the invitation from God. 
who says, I want to know you deeply. I want to love you deeply. Knowledge and loving, these things are intimately connected in the language of God. To know someone really and truly is to love them. So how, how is it that I can ask God to love and to be united to something that is utterly contrary to him, namely evil? I can't do that. And he won't do it. He, God, is, God is love. Gives us a, a sense of the, of the nature of evil. Just totally contrary to love. So how is it then that I don't let my life be transformed? How is it that I don't let the Holy Spirit take root in my life? How is it that I don't bring to him all of my faults and failings and all of the difficulties in my life instead of trying to work them out on my own? How is it that when I hear the teaching of the church, which is guaranteed by God to be the truth, the authentically taught truth, how is it that I look at those teachings and I say, well, you guys clearly are on the wrong side of history because we're going in a different direction now. How is it that I'm willing to reject the things of God? We think sometimes, if God loves me, it's going to be okay. God doesn't love evil. No, God invites us into goodness and into transformation. And so the invitation then, this evening, first and foremost, uh, is to believe. To believe what he has given and taught, namely in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent who is the only Savior of the world. There is no other name under heaven by which we are to be saved. It's a proclamation of St. Peter. So do I believe that in my heart? But of course we know that belief is only the first step. Showing up is only half the battle. St. James in his letter will say, you believe, well that's good. But even the demons believe and shudder. Faith without works is dead. So my life then has to be transformed. What does it mean for me to live my life daily in union with God? So the second thing I'm called to do is to pray, is to be with our Lord. Again, these next two days, I pray, will be a fantastic opportunity for you to come and adore our Lord, spend time with Him, get to know Him, allow Him to love you and transform you, allow Him to forgive you, whatever, that, whatever that, that need is, wherever that need is in your own life. And then the third thing that our Lord asks us to do is to proclaim the gospel. You see, imagine these virgins carrying these flasks of oil. What else are they but a light in the darkness? The image that comes to mind is the burning bush, Moses, God himself, affecting this, 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 this creation of his in a way that allows it to give light, but it doesn't consume it, doesn't destroy it, leaves it for what it is. And then Moses himself, as he goes up the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments and the law, he comes back down the mountain and his countenance is changed, bright, glowing, so much so that the Israelites are afraid of him, they don't want to look at him. And we remember, we remember those words of our Lord, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works 
and give glory to your heavenly Father. That's what our Lord calls us to, is to proclaim his light. He's called us out of darkness into his own marvelous light. And if we who are here, who have everything that God has to offer to us in the sacraments, and if we are not able to receive that light, how can we expect the rest of the world to be able to receive the goodness and love and forgiveness and salvation of God? If I'm not doing my part, if I've only showed up and I haven't gone out. So our Lord challenges us then. He invites us today. Certainly I can't finish without referencing Pope St. Leo the Great, the one who turned away Attila the Hun from Rome. The stories, the, the details of that story are given in different kinds of ways. Maybe you've heard it. Comes Attila with his army. Comes the Pope out of the city in full regalia. And at the sight of him, the Huns tremble and turn and run away. Other versions of the story have a meeting, one-on-one -on -one meeting with the Pope and with Attila the Hun. When no one knows what was said or what happened except that the next day they were gone. What sort of power and strength did that one man have? Was he just a good statesman? I think it's silly to say it like that. No, maybe he had been transformed. Maybe he had received the gift of the Holy Spirit. He knew it and he lived it. And through him was shown the power and victory of God Most High. Would that all of us lived like that in this world. There is a lot of evil in the world today. We've seen it. We know it. And if I'm going to be light, if I'm going to be the light in the darkness, I need to stay close to my Lord and my God. I need to bring to him everything that I am, everything that I have. Allow him to transform me, to transform me, to fill my flask with the Holy Spirit. Such that when I, when I do appear before him, after I die or at the end of time, he can say, not, I never knew you, evil one, but rather, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord.